0: Welcome everybody to Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here once again with Howard Tybel. Happy holidays, my friend.
1: Yeah, happy holidays to you. It's- this was—I uh, got a great story of being in Manhattan, you know, and having two Lubavitch Jews run up to me and saying, "Are you Jewish?" and then basically handing me a menorah. And I—this was the first night of Hanukkah, and I did not have a menorah. And I looked at these guys I'm like. Who sent you? <laughs> and I went to my hotel. I lit the candles in the hotel and blew them out right away, which is against the religion, but I didn't want to burn down the hotel. But it was one of these things that came out of nowhere.
0: That's pretty funny. It was awesome. Streetside menorah rescue in New York. <laughs> you never would see that coming. <laughs> Let's uh so so uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for this show today Howard. I I you know this is tis the season the, the 2015 National Business Officers Association annual meeting is coming up February 22nd through 25th in Boston Mass blissfully Tybal Inc. Home Turf. Yes. This year's event promises a rich catalog of appropriately placed baseball references, uh, judging by the website, <laughs> and a lineup of first-rate speakers tackling the big issues facing business officers around the country. Our very special guest today is the one and only Jeff Shields, president and CEO of NBOA, and he is here to share the story of NBOA annual meeting this year and, and what makes it such a slam dunk for business officers to attend in 2015. Jeff? Jeff, welcome to Navigating Change.
2: Thanks, Pete. It's my pleasure to be here. And I think the upcoming MBOA annual meeting is more like a grand slam oh. for business officers oh. because uh, we're conquering the green monster, which is a reference to Fenway Park. And we've got all sorts of baseball theme uh, ideas going on throughout the meeting. And, you know, I hear there's a pretty good baseball team in Boston. So we're just going to try and take advantage of that. <laughs> we, we wouldn't know. <laughs> and, it's, and it's and it's Howard's hometown. It is. We're, it's so which great. We're counting on probably like a fifty percent uptick. It's the Tyble bump. It's the tribal bump. <laughs> yeah, I don't it think has so. a name. It has <laughs> the a name. Bump. The Tyble bump. I love it. I'm counting on that, Howard.
0: All right. All right. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's kick off, Jeff. If you could just give us a little bit of background of the MBOA and, and w- you know, why, what are the big issues you're going to be tackling this year? Why is, it, why is this going to be the uh, event to hit? Um, and, and such a, it can, happening in February is such a great way to sort of kick off the new
2: year. That's, I, I really like the way you think. Well, first of all, MBOA is the National Business Officers Association. We work with CFOs at independent schools across the country. Independent schools are day schools, boarding schools, prep schools. They have an independent governance structure and an independent funding model, which is usually tuition. We tend not to say private school, but the common uh, lexicon would say it's their private schools. So we work with CFOs. Uh, They oversee HR, IT facilities, risk management, everything that's really outside the academic uh, education that goes on at the schools. Uh, We're a rather young organization, actually. I think that's kind of interesting to note. We were founded in in 1998, so we're only 16, 17 years now. Um, And this is probably going to be only our 10th uh, annual meeting of business officers. So still relatively new in the association world. But uh, Boston is going to be fantastic. We're, We're looking for over a 1,000 business officers and business operations staff. Uh, over 100 uh, members of our business partner community uh, will be in attendance. We've got Doris Kearns Goodwin, who also knows uh, something about Boston and something about baseball uh, and something about presidential history, uh, and she's going to be our opening keynote. Uh, and we're going to be talking about really some, some issues that are really critical to independent schools, Uh, Financial sustainability, uh, the business model, uh, HR compliance issues, uh, blended learning and how technology is changing, what's happening in the pre-K through 12 classroom, uh, facilities, crisis management, uh, and then, of course, our bread and butter issues, accounting, tax, finance, endowment management, et cetera, et cetera. So there's really a lot going on in three and a half days, and business officers are going to have a great Uh, time connecting with each other. And certainly HR directors, controllers, other folks in the business operations of schools are also going to have a great, great time and a great reason to be there. So uh, we're looking forward to a a really outstanding event. And also one last thing I'll say is that uh, there's a lot of independent schools in Boston. It's actually the birthplace uh, of independent school movement. So it's pretty exciting to be there to uh, celebrate our profession and to, to network with with our business officer colleagues.
0: I, I love your, your list of business officer duties, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, my, my kids go to an independent school, uh, here in, in Portland, Oregon. And, and, you know, I, insofar as you think of the business officer, you know, he's sort of running the business administrative side of the house. He's always out there directing traffic at pickup. Uh, so, you know, there is, there is no end to the, the breadth of duties that independent school business officers will, uh, will take on. I, I love ah, that
2: many hats. I'm glad you mentioned that because I really think when people are attracted to this profession and really when they stay in it, and Howard knows this as well, uh, being around business officers for a long time, the, I think that's what they love about it. I think they love the variety. I think the, the, uh, the, level, the expansion or the breadth of their portfolio is really uh, amazing. And this really attracts folks who like to solve problems, who can think on their feet, um, and who like to have uh, something different happening uh, every, every 5, 10, Truly. Uh, 15 yes. minutes of the day. So they're really a great group of people. Great well, it, group
0: of people. it gets to this issue that Howard and I have been have been talking about over the last, um, certainly over the last six months, is this idea of, uh, or, or the concept of kind of reaching across the aisle, right? And the 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 business officer and academic side of the house and working in concert uh, with one another. And the importance of this, this the, the role of communication, strategic communication. And that gets us to, to, Howard, to your role at NBOA this year. You are attending... Uh, once again, and uh, why don't you share a little bit about what you're going to be doing and, and why you uh, see such value in this group?
1: Well, first of all, I have to thank Jeff for even introducing me to this organization because that, that really my exposure, and you know, I've been working as an independent consultant for 28 years, and I'd say the majority of it has been with higher ed and associations. And, and Jeff brought me into NBOA to do some uh, training and some workshops. And then as a result, I started working with independent schools. And i got to tell you that what really struck me about the difference is the engagement of the senior team in a way that... You know, one of of the dilemmas that happens as you move through an organization is people being connected to mission. And when I've led events actually at independent schools, in some cases for the entire school, it didn't matter who you were, you know, if you were in the kitchen, if you were custodial. There was a connection to mission that you could mm-hmm. feel from everybody that provided the services and the overlap. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like we had to work to figure out how to share duties. It was the nature of the work that you might be a finance officer, but you're also teaching, or you might be the athletic coach, but you're also doing this other role. And there's something I- incredibly engaging about it that, until I got exposed to this, you really don't see that in higher education. And part of the reason of that is, is because the nature of, in some ways, you could say complexity, but it really is the breadth of. You you think of a you think of a, a college university almost like its own city. Mm-hmm. Uh, a an independent school has the kind of almost. Uh, family feel Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, people are working in a way that you don't have to work hard to get them to connect to the mission. So so what, I, what I've what i been doing over the last number of years is uh, helping with thinking about these big issues and what it means to be a strategic leader. And in this particular case, uh, at this session, uh, Jeff, you have this organized as deep dive sessions, and they've invited me to do two sessions. One on a topic that I was speaking around the country around is this idea of strategic communication. How to deliver a message and design a message that really impacts an audience and teaching business officers who I see over and over again really appreciate being able to step back and understand how to craft a message and, and give them distinctions there. So that's one big topic. And Jeff had the, Jeff, I had the pleasure of Jeff having Jeff in the audience on the front row when I delivered this. It was great. Jeff. Was that having a pleasure
2: Howard? Having it was me in the front row.
1: Didn't it make me Thank nervous?
2: You. you smiled at me. <laughs> it was, it was one of my favorite sessions of that week. Honestly, oh. Howard, I'm not just saying that it was really terrific. It was at the Nakubo annual meeting this summer in July. It's yeah. a great and, session. I'm really excited. You're bringing it to MBOA in February.
1: Yeah, and and we're going to couple that with a decision-making model that I am writing uh, and getting closer and closer to having a book around, a model that helps teams really understand the conversations that they're in when they're in real time so that they can make more effective decisions because they understand why they're trying to solve this problem. They have a vision for where they want to go and they effectively can make the distinction between brainstorming and prioritizing. And the more I do this, the more I see that people in some ways are starving for that because there's so much change, Pete and Jeff, going on at the same time. And I think people need to understand how to follow a template and 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 work together because often, you know, and Jeff, I'm curious if you see this too, even in independent schools, but even in your own organization, it's so easy you put ten people around a table that in some ways you could find be find yourself almost like having ten different conversations.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think that's true. I mean, I think I think uh, g- tying it back to what you said as far as describing the independent school. Uh, Environment, the culture. I mean, it is a community. You described as a family. I really, I really think it's a community. And and business officers, their staff. There's no shortage of a commitment to the mission of their school. uh, One by one, it's also a very collaborative environment, and it's a very polite environment. And so, I think uh, very often that is a formula for for maybe um, uh, having difficulty making uh, the best decisions. Uh, that the organization needs you to make. And so that's right. I, I, think that's, yeah. I think it's very, I think it's very, um, I think it'll be very hopeful to have uh, a framework, uh, as you've described, for folks to think about uh, and follow and adapt uh, to their school as they think about really making, cri- there's so many decisions, critical decisions, really. And I'm, I'm not really, uh, I, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but the long-term financial health or financial sustainability of many, many, many of these schools is going to be decided over the next five to 10 years. Yes. And, and that's and I think that's it's it's I feel like it's our imperative at this juncture of where we are in in the independent school uh, evolution. And I think uh, schools are wrestling with it. That's the good news. Um, the answers aren't easy. I think there's a lot of uh, all the all the decisions are difficult ones, Howard, if you could speak to that when when all of the choices require people to give out give up something that they really value or they think think are very important but it's for the greater good um so these are tough decisions and so i'm really excited about how we're being there to uh engage in a dialogue with individuals who always want to do the right thing and that's the other thing i'll say about this membership they always want to do the right thing but very challenging very challenging times so i'm really looking forward to that uh particularly
0: I, you know that that is such a great way to to frame this challenge and I, I wonder you know my experience is, is fairly limited in terms of the breadth of of independent schools that I have have worked with my spend most of my time with higher ed but but you know my experience is that while the business officers for independent schools that I've come into contact into contact with are extremely talented business officers, they are not well equipped with the kinds of skills that help them tackle these complex problems uh, that they meet in this really unique environment of the this this unique as you say community this unique family, uh, you know how where are these pain points, Howard? Maybe you could talk just for a yeah. minute about where these pain points are and, and and where the needs really are are sort of focused. Well, it's, it's, a,
1: it's, a, it's such a big question, Pete, because whether it's. Uh, Higher education or independent schools, the nature of speaking across the aisle, the the nature of being a administrative leader, sort of responsible for the financial viability and uh, of the organization, and then the deliverers of the of the services, the the teachers who are actually front and center. There is a natural tension. Between those who are delivering it to the students mm-hmm. and those who are trying to sort of keep the the business moving in a way that makes it more and more financially viable uh, more revenue and and managing expenses, the tension there is really appreciating uh, each other and really listening to the concerns of the other and and I think we're moving in a direction both in independent schools, you know, Jeff, your point that we're coming to a point where some big, big decisions are going to need to get made. And in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see some schools really thrive, many maybe continuing in some cases to limp along and some having to rethink whether Mm -hmm. they can continue to do what they're doing, whether they merge or whatever. And, And I think more and more there's a greater understanding that the only way we're going to get through this is if we get board leadership, faculty, and when I say faculty I'm talking about the people delivering the teaching and in some cases research primarily in higher ed, and administration to come to the table and to really be saying, this is our collective problem, and mm-hmm. let's do this together, as opposed to you're responsible for this and we're responsible for something else. And and I think that mindset shift around collaboration versus cooperation is taking hold and, and people are recognizing we need to really learn what it means to collaborate, not just be polite and cooperate with each other. What do you think yep. of that, Jeff?
2: I think I think you're spot on. I think the I think we are moving in that direction. I do think that heads of schools, uh, chief financial officers, other members of the senior leadership team are realizing that that silo thinking is is not not only is it. Uh, preventing us from moving forward, it really it really could be uh, you know contribute to our demise and that uh, I think trustees, the senior leadership team are getting together and really thinking through these big issues, these complex issues, and, and using all of the best thinking that's at the table. I think what they don't have though very often is a model uh, or a framework on how to think through things to get to the best uh, outcome uh and, and so I think that's that's what's really valuable. Uh and I think that's that's one tool that we're hoping uh to bring to the table. So uh I think that but I do think that those um that, that limited kind of silo thinking uh we are evolving past that and and trustees and heads of schools and CFOs are really realizing that. If for nothing else, two thousand nine was a was a wake up call and it really it really show uh put a spotlight on uh, financial issues for independent schools, and I think uh, the the schools that we're talking about, the schools that are committed to being here for decades and decades and decades, um, are really uh, using that as the as the wake up call to to bring these issues to the fore.
1: You know, it's so interesting as I listen to you, Jeff, is that you know these are in some ways are repeated themes that you and I have heard, and I've seen your writing and uh, net assets. I think does brilliant uh, work. It's sort of shedding light in, into these deep dives uh, around these different topics. And and one of the things that comes to mind for me that that's front and center that I'm at least that that I'm paying attention to is th- this idea of what is it what is what does it mean to have a certain kind of leadership mindset in the face of in many ways, we're talking about it. And I, and I use this language sometimes in, in, uh, in retreats, and, I, and I'm always like, okay, is this going to play? But I, I, it's a growing up conversation. Mm-hmm. you know. I, and I think that in many ways, what makes these schools' experiences so appealing is they've got this kind of open ended, it, it doesn't have that, in many ways, corporate feel. And I think as we can, the tension is as we continue to move towards. Weaving in, what does it mean to be financially viable? How do we retain that feel and culture that people have bought into? Is why they join this because it's not corporate, and this is this is the inherent dilemma because there's a lot of natural pushback from faculty trying when they hear this idea about trying to assess the viability of programs against some uh, financial metrics. Yeah. But the truth yeah. is, if we don't find a way of having those conversations in a meaningful way, we are ignoring some very important things that are staring us in the face. And and I think that the nature—if you were to simplify why NBOA is a critical organization, why coming together once a year on these annual meetings and then regional meetings— why it's so important is because we have to, in a sense, learn the art of talking through these issues together. Mm. And it's not about having an answer; it's mm-hmm. about it's about discovering what are the right questions that we want to tackle, and then coming together and wrestling with them. That's at the heart of what I see that you do, and that I've experienced when I've sat in on NBOA sessions. It's like it really is committed people that want to figure out. What should we be wrestling with here? And not so much, we've got the answer that we don't have the answers. We'd be kidding ourselves if we thought we knew how, how we're going to get there.
2: That's right. And I think that's really interesting, Howard, that you would bring that up because I think so often the culture of the independent school business officer is to have the answer. So it's really counter to how they have been successful in this role to not... Um, to, to rather struggle or be in conversations about getting to the solution and not immediately providing it or not, or understanding that, um, that there isn't an answer readily available. That's, that's a really, um, that's a, that's a real twist to, again, how they are frequently rewarded and really thought of, um, at their schools. And that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big shift. That's a big shift. It's
0: transformative, really. Yeah. Just uh, transformative in terms of not just how they approach their job, but how they approach the the rest of the team with which they work. And, it, you know, I I, I can't help but, but think that the constituent audiences that they work with, not just, you know, staff and faculty administration, but the board, uh, you know, and the typically much more involved parent group than you have in higher ed, right? These competing signals uh, create a lot more noise uh, that they have to be able to parse and and work through. I think, Uh, wouldn't you say, Howard, that's so much of what strategic communication really gets through?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really is getting to... In the end, if you think about listening to anybody uh, trying to tell a story about where what, what they want from you or they, what they want you to take away, it's fundamentally—there's a very simple message behind it. But often we think that the detail is what people want. People want the <laughs> message— and then what they want to do is find a way to engage with you in the message. And Mm -hmm. I think what what business officers, rightfully so, they've got so much data and they've got so much, you know, sort of their whole career has been built around understanding how to look at financial models. And then in many ways they're being asked, and I'm going to be asking them to look at this idea of stepping back from the weeds and saying, what are you trying to produce in your listeners? So when you're in front of a board and you've got – You know, metrics from the last six months, those numbers are less important than really what are you trying to engage them in? And what I want to see more and more happening is people are willing to stop and minimally ask that question because that question leads to engagement. Oh, I
0: love the way you, I love the way you put that. Uh, it, you know, as we, as we get down to, to sort of our wrap up, I wonder if you each could take a turn at this question. Um, let's say I am a, an independent school business officer and I am attending, uh, the, uh, uh, NBOA annual meeting for the first time. Um, Howard, let's start with you. And then Jeff, what do I need to do to prepare myself to have the very best experience in your sessions and at the event overall?
1: Well, you know, it's funny when, when Whenever I get up in front of a group, whether it's ten people or five hundred people, I recognize from the moment I'm starting that I'm already in some way speaking to the choir. And that I'm 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 out the fact that they show up is half the battle. Mm-hmm. And that what I'm looking for is a mindset. You know, so if I'm asked to come into an organization, because maybe that there is uh there are some um Morale issues, for example. Let's say that that's a piece of it. I'm dealing with a different kind of mindset. But when you show up at a conference like this, you are making an intentional choice to say, you know what? I don't. Not only do I now don't know everything, I'm here to learn. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking for people to come into my session with, at least, and I'm sure every other presenter would say this too, is an open mind, a willingness to say, I'm willing to set aside. Either some preconceived notions and learn some new ideas, but I got to tell you that is the nature of how they show up. That's why this is so exciting. Is that you know mm-hmm. in the in the times I've led events uh, for Jeff and NBOA, the the engagement enthusiasm was overwhelmingly positive. So I'm I'll say to a group, it's not. You that I worry about is the people that choose not to be here. Yeah, that really are the ones that would va- get value from these conversations, even deeper than the, those that are here. What, what about you, Jeff?
2: Oh, I love I love the question, Pete, and I really appreciate it. I think first and foremost, I would ask folks to come to the meeting with a learning agenda. There are so many different opportunities to learn through concurrent sessions, general sessions, gold mines, deep dives. That and and, and really the content covers the full portfolio that we talked about at the top of the call. So I think what's really important is come with at least armed with what you're going to learn so that uh, you're not consumed by the program, but rather you consume what you really need from the program. And, And just two other really quick points. Um, make it a point to come to the welcome reception for first-timers mm. uh, on the first night. It sounds like a small point, but this community is so collaborative, is so collegial, and is so connected that that you'll do yourself uh, the, the biggest favor of the meeting by coming into that room and connecting with people who are all first-timers like you, and you'll meet the board, you'll meet other people who are really committed. To making sure that that you have a really uh, outstanding meaning and then finally i would just encourage everyone to ask questions because there's someone there that has the answer they've been through it and there's one thing that business officers do best is that they they share information because they don't want anyone to reinvent the wheel if they can help them avoid it so really come with questions don't be afraid to ask questions i think You'll come once with that. If you do those three things, from my point of view, I think you'll have an outstanding learning experience, and and you'll want to come back year after year.
0: I love that, and I love the way you put it. be be able to consume what you want to consume and not be consumed by the meeting.
2: It's a big meeting. It's a big meeting, yeah. and a lot of these folks work in smaller learning environments, and sometimes that can be overwhelming, and, and I don't want that to happen, but we're trying to serve everybody with this meeting, so it it does it, it continues to grow, and, and overall, I think that's a good thing because it increases the brain trust that's there. Jeff, this
0: is, uh, we really appreciate you being um, on the call with us today, and, and it really sounds like, I mean, this is, you say it's a big meeting, but the kind of <laughs> sponsorship support really, um, you know, lends such credibility to what you're doing. There are a lot of people who want to see this meeting be a success and a lot of companies that really have your back clearly to make this a great event. Uh, It is the 2015 NBOA annual meeting, February 22nd through 25th in Boston, ma. Uh, That's where you want to be in February.
2: (laughs) Pete, can I add one thing to this before we sign off? And that is that um, we talked about the commitment to mission that business officers and folks that work in independent schools have. I will tell you, our business partner community shares that same commitment to the mission of these schools, and I am so grateful for that. And I think that's why they're as engaged in this meeting as they are, because they, they really, truly share the commitment to the mission of the independent schools they serve as well. And I, I, really, I really think they deserve credit for that. Outstanding.
0: Outstanding, true corporate support. It's really wonderful. It is um, so, uh, Jeff Shields. Again, thank you, CEO, President, and CEO of NBOA. Thank it you. It was so nice much meeting you, Pete. Thank Likewise. you for the opportunity. Surely appreciate uh, talking to you. And and uh, you know, uh, in coming years, when you decide to have your event in Portland, I will be there.
2: <laughs> we were in Seattle. We were we were very close not I, too long ago. I like. think
0: I ended up with a a a, a, a celebratory mug. Out of the event, I actually <laughs> think I was there.
2: excellent, uh, Howard. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity as well. You're welcome, H-
0: Howard Diebel. Uh, any other news for the good people? I actually have something. I never do. I have something I want to end with. I am so
1: excited about that. All right. so, so, and I think it ties in nicely to this. Because yes, uh, I was preparing. I'm preparing for leading a. Uh, a, uh, a board a board workshop at a trusteeship event and I've been thinking this morning about with Gail Gregory about this and uh they came across this across this article back in 2009 titled Leadership in a Permanent Crisis and it was written in uh, July of 2009 by um, Ronald Heifetz, Alexander Grashow, and Martin Linsky. and this quote I think is as true today as it was back in 2009, Jeff, I'm curious what you think of this. And here it is. It says, give yourself permission, I'll say it again, as a leader, give yourself permission to be both optimistic and realistic. This will create a healthy tension that keeps optimism from turning into denial and realism from devolving into cynicism. mm and and I think that this is the challenge we have today: is how do we but how do we keep our level of optimism while facing in times what I talk about as the brutal facts? But I think it's you can also frame it as realism. And I think business officers live that every single day, and that's mm-hmm. what they that's what they are struggling with: is how do we? Bring both forward. I'm all about finding ways helping people to to bring the optimism, uh, and, and I'm telling you, it's out there. So, Jeff, I got to tell you, for me personally, uh, I love working with you and your organization just because of the. Uh, I walk away more jazzed from uh, sessions with with your uh, membership than I do from uh, most other experience I attend. So, I really appreciate the participation.
2: Oh, I appreciate that as well, Howard. No, I I really. We're in the aspiration business. I mean, that's what independent schools provide is the it's that aspiration of what your, your son or daughter can be. And, and I think that's that's you got to marry that, as you said, with the, the realism of uh, the reality of our current circumstances in the current economic environment and not an easy answer. So I re- that was I thought that that uh, quote was right on point.
0: Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap up than that. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and subscribing to Navigating Change. You can find out more about the show at Tybalink.com. And uh, we appreciate your kind reviews and ratings in iTunes. If you're an iTunes listener, that's a great way to help make sure that other people discover the show when they search for it, just leaving us a nice five-star review. We, we appreciate that. On behalf of Howard Tybel and Jeff Shields from NBOA, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you in the new year on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybalink.